All right, welcome to the AdaptX podcast where we have discussions with people who are building inclusive businesses, advocating for inclusion, or excelling in adaptive sports. Our intention is never to speak on behalf of those with disabilities, but amplify their voice and share their journey with you so you can be inspired and motivated to take on your own. Today, I'm joined by Sam Schaefer, an athlete, coach, and an advocate. I'm always hesitant to start these discussions focusing exclusively on the disability because I don't want to imply that it's the main characteristic about the individual, but I think we're going to have a really cool story to share with you today. But maybe we can start before that, uh, maybe your childhood, athletic background, uh, academic experience, career aspirations. So maybe we can start with uh, before your amputation. So where did you grow up? Uh, what were you passionate about? Yeah, um, so I grew up just south of St. Louis, uh, Missouri, um, about a 25-minute drive away from the city. And I was definitely like, I was a hockey nut, but sports in general. Um, if I were to sum up what I wanted to be, like growing up, I wanted to be a pro. Um, if it was hockey season, I wanted to be a hockey player. I wanted to be a baseball player. I wanted to be a – so like, I, I kind of played a little bit of – I didn't play, I wouldn't say everything, but I played all the normal sports. I played baseball, soccer, basketball um through grade school middle middle school and in high school i ended up mostly just focusing on soccer that didn't end up really going anywhere um but from there that's whenever i i I went to college and i made the decision to join the military after a few semesters and i realized because i realized that that was not taking me a direction that i wanted to go just felt like every semester was further away from something that i was going to be happy doing and uh, I had an older brother that was in the military. Uh, he had just come back from a deployment. Uh, my dad and I drove out to see him as he came back. And there was just like this sense of like, this is where I'm actually supposed to be. Cool. Awesome. So you, you enlisted in the military at 19, 20 years old? Yeah. So I was, yeah, I was 19. Uh, 19, like I said, I was like three semesters in into college. You know, I did the normal high school right into college. I went to the University of Missouri. Um, and it was fun. It just, like I said, it just, I didn't, I was just getting this feeling that I wasn't going a direction that I was going to be happy with. Yeah. And you mentioned in some of the, in some of the posts that I was reading and stuff that I was reading about you, a specific incident uh, during training that seemed to cause a cascade of symptoms. Yeah, so I was in the combat control training pipeline, so it's a, it's a special operations career field. And I was, we were just on a run. Uh, we were running back from the pool. I ended up clipping a curb. And as I land, I, I land on the outside of my foot. It rolls, rolls my ankle so bad. Like I remember the sensation of my heel touching my ankle. Like the inside of my heel touched the inside of my ankle. In my infinite wisdom, I got up and continued and finished the run. Um, it was about another mile. And that is what led to complex regional pain syndrome. There, there was some other like more physical injuries. Like there was a fracture. There was definitely ligaments, ligament issues. But it led to a nerve condition called complex regional pain syndrome. Uh, that injury occurred September 6th of 2011. And is that, is that diagnosis that's well understood or did you have any kind of pushback from medical professionals in terms of how they were diagnosing it? It is not well understood. Um, the name is pretty ambiguous, uh, complex regional pain syndrome. That kind of says it all. Everybody gets it, like nobody gets it the exact same. The treatments are very, 
I don't want to say like difficult, but like it's just like it's almost random on who on who is successful with treatment and who is not. Like I was completely treatment resistant. The interesting part is that it typically is pretty challenging to get that diagnosis. I had the fortunate, unfortunate scenario where I walk in to the uh, clinic. I don't really know what's going on, to be honest. I'm I'm 20 years old. Um, all I'm thinking is, how do I get back to training? I might be 21 at this point. And they start doing some testing. And the woman goes, have you, have you, oh, so you, looks like you've, so have you already started your med board? Uh, which is a medical discharge, basically. And at this point, I'm thinking I'm getting back into training. And the doctor tells me, he's like, this is the most clear-cut case of complex regional pain syndrome I've ever seen in my whole life. I'm really sorry. At this point, I hadn't even entertained the idea that this was going to force my removal from the program, much less the military. Yeah, so that so when you're kind of first met with that news, um, probably not knowing much about CRPS in general, um, what was the next step? PT, OT? Yeah, so like they had me in physical therapy. And part of why I got sent to that doctor was they had me doing ankle sprain physical therapy for like six months straight. And then accused me of lying when I said that my pain was still was where it was. I was like, no, I don't want to be here. I want to get back to training. I was like, I was like, I'm not here because I think it's a good time. <laughs> and finally, somebody finally just was like, you know what? Maybe what if he's not lying? Like, unfortunately, that was the culture. I had to prove that I wasn't lying about the pain that I was in. <laughs> and they sent me to the and they did these tests and they were just like, yeah. We, yeah, we've, we've heard that from like a couple other guests that had these complex conditions uh, that are a little more ambiguous. And it just seems so bizarre to me. Like, why would someone who's highly motivated, who really is passionate about what they want to do, like, uh, I guess, the relegate themselves to just like therapy? Like, why would anyone lie about that? Yeah, yeah. it's like, it's not like the paycheck's that good. <laughs> like, <I'm, yeah. laughs> like, we did the mistake of figuring out our per hour one time, and we shouldn't have done that. That was depressing. <laughs> what was so, so you were discharged from the military, and um, did you find another passion, or kind of how did your career proceed from there? Um, yeah, so I was very fortunately, I was introduced to CrossFit in February of 2010. This is just before it started to like really get the big momentum. Um, when I first started CrossFit, there wasn't a shoe for it. Um, everybody had like four pairs of shoes in their backs. They didn't quite know what to go with. And I mean, you had people running in Vibram five fingers, you know, all, all these, all these like wild things. We're just trying stuff. Um, and so I knew, I remember thinking before I left, I was like, man, when I get out, I bet I'd like to coach this. This would probably be a fun thing to coach. Um, so I, so I kind of kept learning about it, and I kept, you know, that that had piqued my interest very early. And from there, and then I went when I got discharged. That's what I went back to. Um, my discharge took a long time. Um, like I said, I was six months into the injury. Whenever that I got diagnosed, it was 15 months after my accident that I actually got discharged. I had there was a couple people that fought that didn't want to do it for some reason. I, I don't know, whatever their personal stuff was. And um, so I got into there. Uh, I used part of my severance check to pay for my CrossFit level one. And I began began that process. And within a year, I was coaching 
CrossFit or CrossFit style classes uh, wherever I could, just starting to get that experience. Um, still, really with a with a very poor understanding of what was actually upcoming for me. You know, I'm still now only a couple years into this. Uh, what became a nine year journey. I didn't really understand. I was young enough that I was definitely in denial. I was just trying to like desperately cling for everything I could to get because I got told you'll never lift again. You you can't be as an operator. You can't be in the. You're no use in the Air Force. You will never run again. You will not. You know you can't play soccer. You can't like. That's all I got. I got this huge list of can't ever's. And I'm just sitting there like, I can't, like, it hurts when I do nothing. I'm going to go do this thing I enjoy because it's still going to hurt. And through that, I started to learn that strength was an asset, that that if I train my function well enough, that even though that function was deteriorating, if I could continue to raise the level of what 100% was, if I was only going to get 20% that day, well, I'd rather 20% of a bigger set of capacities than 20% of a smaller capacity. Yeah. So it kind of became that journey. And again, some of it was very hard-headed. Um, go figure, a 23, 24-year-old single guy who's just like desperate to be like, who wants to get back to life um, was a little hard-headed in that pursuit. But like, that's kind of where all that started. And like I said, I d- diving into the coaching realm, learning, learning, learning. And that was what I've done as a profession actually ever since. That I was coaching for years with CRPS, some of that time on a cane and on a forearm crutch. And then when I got back to walking, I went back to coaching. Yeah, I saw in one of your posts, you said something along the lines of that walking makes the pain worse, but not more so than losing your fitness. So it's like, I mean, we all have, I guess, like challenges, whether you're able-bodied, adaptive, et cetera. Um, And I know some of our clients that are in like a rehabilitative state, maybe post stroke or post injury, like sometimes get frustrated at the work they have to put in. But, and I don't mean to demean that in any way, but at the same time, I'm like, I have to work to maintain my fitness. So like our goals, like the goalpost might always be moving, uh, but that doesn't mean you should stop, I guess, moving towards it. But I think like your, your stuff with CrossFit, did you ever, was it ever hard to convince clients of kind of your expertise if you're coaching with like a visible physical assistance like your cane? Did anyone ever question your your kind of authority in that regard? Um, you, you know, I had been coaching in that same room for so many years before the cane became necessary that it was I actually felt it more than they did. They knew my expertise. They, they I had been working and helping these people for years. Some of them over five years of coaching and helping them with pro- helping them progress. That, like, it was more of a it was more of a more in my head than it was anywhere else. Like, I assumed that I was going to get pushback and feedback, um, and I I never did. At least not to my face. I, I never did. Yeah. Um, no one ever said, "Well, I don't want to go to his class because of." Mm-hmm. Everyone's yeah. like, because like I I was always. I, I still do I'm still doing classes and courses and learning things like and that was partly what I was known for is that like Sam is still learning Sam is still working on building he knows a lot and he yeah. is he worked and everybody knew how hard I worked at my coaching yeah. um, I have said over and over I am 10 times the coach that I am the athlete and most of my athletics are just simple R&D for my coaching yeah, yeah um, absolutely. and that's still the case 
I, I mean, I think some of the the information that I came across that you had shared on training strategies for amputees is is definitely the best that I've seen. Um, haven't seen a ton of solid resources, but even like the way that you describe like equal weight distribution between feet, like all that stuff, band underneath the prosthetic to improve that, like those cueing and those external cues and the strategies and the modifications, um, I think are are second to none for for that space. But so you started CrossFit 11, 12 years ago, adaptive division, adaptive CrossFit probably wasn't really a thing. Obviously it's gained a lot more steam in the recent years. Um, but were, yeah, were there any other like adaptive athletes? Would you even, were you even considering yourself an adaptive athlete at that time? Nope. Was completely unfamiliar with the term. I didn't know that I fit into that, that category as somebody with CRPS. Yeah. Um, I didn't like, it was an invisible because like it's an invisible injury. So nobody came and talked to me about it. Yeah. So like, I was like completely unaware that any of that existed until my amputation. I had done a little bit like, so once I knew that I was for sure pursuing amputation, um, I reached out to a, a local organization, uh, called DASA and they had a sled hockey program. And so I started playing sled hockey cause that allowed me to get one. I didn't realize that I actually did qualify for because I was, that's when I, I learned that I actually already was an adaptive athlete by classification um, with CRPS. But I was going into that room with the idea of like, I can spend time with amputees and learn from amputees about being, about what that means. Like, cause like you said, there really aren't a lot of resources. Like that's part of been my motivation for putting out the information that I'm doing is very simply like, this is what I was, I, I Googled and couldn't find when I was going through the process a few years ago. Yeah. I thought that was an interesting, I thought that was an interesting timeline. Cause when I was kind of looking back at your stuff and trying to read about you, I saw sled hockey stuff before your amputation. Um, yeah, yeah, and then, so, so that was kind of an interesting perspective. Like, were you, were you working towards amputation? Like, did you have that in your mind and you're like, I want to kind of build up the skills now beforehand? Um, yeah. So I, I knew that that's the direction I was pursuing. Um, I was, I got a lot of resistance from the VA. Um, they didn't, I, I fought with the VA for nine months before my, to get my amputation. So that was in the, that was also the window where I started playing sled hockey. Again, part of it was to get acclimated to the, um, environment and like, again, I wanted to learn everything I could. I was like, I had this unique opportunity to begin life as an amputee on purpose. Yeah. To begin that chapter, not as an accident. And I wanted to, I was like, how, I don't know, dumb is the wrong word, but how poor, how, what a poor use of my, my time and resources if I don't go out and try to actually gain some perspective and understand everything I can before it happens. Yeah. What was the pushback from the VA or what's, what's the hesitation? Um, they just didn't want to do it. Like she was like, well, this seems, I, I don't know. I'm uncomfortable with this. And I'm like, well, I'm uncomfortable with this. <laughs> yeah. You're, you're like, <laughs> like, they, they, was like, they're like, you're perfectly healthy. I was like, I am not perfectly healthy. I was like, I'm in massive pain. I haven't slept in nine years. <laughs> like, like they know all this stuff, but like there really isn't, there wasn't a way to treat it. Like I had, I had failed pretty well every treatment um, at in the first 18 months. And the only, and I had, so they, whenever I got out and I was at the VA in the VA system, 
most of my treat most of the treatments to try were already tr- we had already tried and seen no success with yeah so that i got asked if i wanted vicodin permanently and yeah. i expressed concerns with with that i was like i don't think that that's a wise strategy i was like we know how that story goes you give me opiates i develop a habit i either keep getting more opiates or you become a or or you start you get into heroin that's that that is like the story like that's there's so many vets with that story and i told and i expressed that concern i was like i don't think this is a good strategy and they look me dead in the eye and go oh so the pain must not be that bad (laughs) yeah that's yeah that's that's crazy resistance (laughs) so so like that that was the start of my relationship with the va in 2012 2013 and it never really recovered. Like there was that, that, and there was just not really anything to do. And I wasn't going to go ask for help. And all they were going to say was, well, which pill do you want? Yeah. Which I was like, again, this is that there's no end in sight. Um, I didn't know that amputation was even an option at that for a long time. Yeah. And so like, we didn't have a good relationship or we didn't have a relationship, I should say. So when I came to, to seek out amputation, there was like, well, you like, I had someone tell me you haven't even tried to get better yet. And I've done nothing but bust my, but bust my butt for nine year, eight years at that this point. Gone through like more pain than I ever could have fat I could fathom, and it was kept getting worse. Like I had to be like if I couldn't squat four hundred pounds at a time, my walking really got bad. Like I had to be that strong just to function. Yeah, that's that's another interesting thing. I think. Um... Well, as in response to coming to the beginning of that conversation, not that CRPS isn't a disability, but we do hear from some of our guests in terms of like how much their life improved after their disability. So if we consider amputation uh, like your main your main physical disability, not that CRPS wasn't, but like people talking about how much better their life gets after their disability. So in your case, there's really no comparison. No, not even close. Like this was... They saw amputation as a failure, and I saw getting out of pain as a success. Yeah, absolutely. And I was willing to throw any punch that I could throw for that success. Yeah, yeah. And I think it's hard now that like you have a visible disability. I think people are people are prone to like pity that. But in your in your regard, it's like the best thing that could have happened to you. The best thing I've ever done for myself. The best gift I ever could have given myself, my wife, and the rest of the world. Yeah. There's a version of me that was in massive pain, couldn't get anything done, couldn't talk, couldn't, I couldn't express myself. Like I was just so blocked up from just so much pain. And now I've got this opportunity to free up. Like my, my my brain's got all this like space to operate. And like, it was a really wild experience getting out of pain, especially those first few months. It was a really wild scenario. Did you experience any like phantom limb pain or any residual discomfort after the amputation? Um, I did. Yeah. Um, nothing crazy. Um, especially like in the first month, some, some bad days and some good days, but I also, I was fortunate that with my amputation, uh, my surgeon also did, did work on my nerves with a procedure called uh, targeted muscle reinnervation or TMR. If you are somebody seeking an elective amputation or you have this opportunity that your amputation is happening on purpose, that absolutely should be a part of your procedure. And it did a lot to mitigate phantom pains to the point that I really don't have them anymore. Um, every once in a while, and I can almost always tie it to my left glute. I'm a left. My I lost my left foot, 
my, my left glute gets really tight, I will get some of that phantom pain. But other than that, uh, it's very, very minimal at this point. Are you above the knee or below the knee? Below. Below the knee. Um, you mentioned squatting 400, like while you had CRPS and kind of having a high level of fitness. Did you talk to anyone that had experience with kind of using fitness and exercise to manage CRPS symptoms? Like, do you think anything you did exacerbated symptoms or improved symptoms? Um, I didn't, I, I never found resources to talk to. Part of it was I, I didn't seek it out like aggressively. Um, the few times that I did try to like kind of look into support groups or information type stuff, I just, it really wasn't my jam. I found a lot of people leaning into how bad it was versus what we could, what can you do? And that, that mindset and what, what I learned from that was with CRPS, you have to stay on the gas. Like you have to, the second you stop, you're, I never saw anybody get back on the bike. You had to keep pedaling. And so that's what I learned from that. And so it became a big trial and error. So like it's, I started off, I was doing CrossFit. And as the condition progressed and worsened, I could running became an issue, jumping rope and bigger impact. And then it became simply coming off of a pull-up bar could mean three weeks of exacerbated pain if I don't do if I landed on my left foot at all. Um, so a lot of so then it became like increased like like prolonged heart rate like intensity. You know, again, all the things that kind of CrossFit works into with like longer pieces then the duration became an issue. So I had to learn how I had to learn how to assess. And I learned a lot about assessment um, in that process. And so like, okay, that's gone. And I, and I just, I had to be, I had to drop the ego. Yeah. Yeah. I really want to do it like everyone else, but I can't. Mm -hmm. Or if I do, I'm going to trade that one hour of doing things like everybody else. And I'm going to be absolutely miserable the other 23 hours of the day and be capable of getting nothing else done and being a useless human being because I'm in so much pain. Yeah. So then so then that's where the dive into like strength became more of a thing. It started with, um, so I, the natural move was to go to Olympic weightlifting. I was like, okay, I like the fact that it's still very technical, very skill-based, um, you know, because when I had my feet planted and together, I was moving bilaterally. I wasn't having near as much stuff getting flared up. It was unilateral. Like walking was harder than deadlifting. Um, you know, and then, you know, I still had deteriorations. You know, we had to change up how I squatted at times. You know, I had to be ready for, I had to have a, a plan A, B, and C for if my leg was going to not cooperate with the program squatting or pulling or whatever it was. So Olympic weightlifting, I kind of put a focus on that for a while, learned a lot. Things became too inconsistent to be able to stack any real training together. I moved on to more just flat out strength biased. Um, I got into throwing. Um, I don't, that was kind of a middle finger to the condition. That wasn't really about trying to get better, I think. Um, I was like, you know what? I really want to give this a try and I think I'm running out of time. I truly believed I was running out of time to be able to try things and figure it out because, again, I still didn't know that amputation was an option. So I thought I was just done. And so, like, but, like, continuing to learn, I was like, okay, so I've never I've, I've never dived very hard into rotation. So that, that was a big piece of that one. You know, trying out different methods, um, you know, odd objects became, like, way more valuable than barbells. Um, so like, you know, just different things like that is, so I became a very good scientist. 
Yeah. I became very good at running every bit of training as an experiment. Yeah, and I think that like some of the best learning experiences that I have had have been my own trial and error. So I like your experience having to modify everything for kind of symptoms that are always ever changing probably made you such a better coach. And maybe like, obviously your clients might not have CRPS, but there's no way that there's not similarities in terms of how they respond to different exercises and how you can kind of make those modifications on the fly. Um, so I, I always tell people like when we're introducing them to uh, working with people with disabilities, like training adaptive athletes makes you a better coach for all populations. And I think there's way more similarities and differences. Absolutely. Everything that works for me works better for able-bodied. Yeah. Uh, that's the funny part. Yeah. Um, just to find something that works is like, works works here for me works all the way up here for able body because you get to use you get to get all the benefits yeah. um yeah exactly i, I again I, I learned a lot about modification i learned a lot about how to relate with an athlete when things aren't working right strategies on how to work better like yeah i i picked up so there was so much that i learned and like also teaching them how to be a more present athlete like you know the word gets thrown a lot oh be present be present gets thrown around a lot but like one of the things that I really learned was how to be very aware mid lift, how to actually feel my hamstrings, feel foot pressure and be aware of it in the middle of a dynamic lift. And then I was able to then transfer that. And then I realized how valuable that was. And I started learning how to teach yeah. other athletes to do it and then go figure set, set their game on fire. Yeah. So that, and then combined with probably, when some of your physical ability to demonstrate movement is taken away, I would imagine that makes you a much better verbal communicator uh, because you don't have the same luxury of like me demonstrating how to do a squat. You have to succinctly outline the the three or four coaching points you want to communicate, and it makes you a much better ver uh, much better verbal instructor as well. Absolutely, and that's where I started developing. That's where I really got good at developing drills. That's where the band that little band drill you're referencing uh, that came before my amputation. Yeah. 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 Yeah, absolutely. Um, after, so after your amputation, maybe, or I, I guess, um, when, when did you have your amputation? It was a year ago, a year and a half ago, August 26th of 2020. Yeah. Okay. Oh, so a few so, years back. Okay. So, yeah. I'm three years post amputation, not quite three years with the leg. Okay. So that was in the middle of COVID. Huh? Like, yeah, it's on the, it was whenever the sur the operating room started to open back up a little bit more freely. Okay. All right. Cool. Um, and over these last few years, um, what have been like the sports that you've gravitated towards? Have you competed in adaptive CrossFit? Um, yeah, so I've done a little bit. Um, I I've done the CrossFit open a couple times. I was, I did the very first one, uh, for the adaptive. I mean, I'd done the, I've been doing the CrossFit open probably five or six years before my amputation. Um, so yeah, I have done CrossFit. Um, I was actually on the first all adaptive team to qualify for and compete in a major CrossFit competition, the able body division. Um, two other amputees invited me to come down to Miami and we did Wadapalooza um, in the able body division, which was just a, a ton of fun and a really like impactful thing. We got to have a lot of good conversations. We got to build a lot of fans for the adaptive division. Like, you know, people were coming and talking to us afterwards because like, they got to see us compete next to a, a fitness level that they understood their friends were out there. So they knew how fit their friends were 
And now we're not just like a feel good. We're like, oh no, these guys are actually fails. Like, yeah, you should go check this out. And we'd go tell them when the next event was. And we'd go and we'd see some of these same people there and we'd go watch the events with them. And we got to do stuff like that. Um, so I've done CrossFit. Uh, I've done a few Highland games. I've got back into throwing. Um, in May, I threw a game where there are, there's eight world records for adaptive Highland games in each uh, adaptive division. Uh, I broke five of them in the same game. That was a pretty, pretty cool experience. Um, like I said, I played some sled hockey. Schedule's currently not permitting for that one right now. Unfortunately, hockey is like Hockey is like the lifelong passion for me. Like I don't remember becoming a hockey fan. I just always was. Mm-hmm. Um, but this winter, the plan is to get my is to get into more stand up skating, and I've already been invited to a couple of beer league teams. Um, so if I ever so if that, so if that uh, if that 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 ever needs to be tickled, I've, I've got I've got a place to go there. That's pretty cool. Um, trying to think what else I, I've really gotten into a good little bit um right now do you, now, feel, do you feel like you would gravitate towards standing hockey as opposed to sled hockey now yes yeah yeah no, like what, not, for what not, reason i like using my legs yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm i'm big by sled hockey standards um if you watch like the national team it's a lot of double amputees um shorter sleds they're more maneuverable um not that i couldn't not that i can't get it done and i i had a ton of fun with it um I just love the idea of getting out there and get my legs going. Um, I still have them, you know? So, so it's like, I've always kind of wanted to do it. I've never really gotten to play. Um, I was a really undersized kid growing up and I was also in a big family and hockey is not a big family sport. So never actually got to, never got to like play growing up. So why not? Mm-hmm. I, learned to, yeah. I've, I learned to skateboard. I learned to skateboard on an, on a prosthetic for the first time in my life, you know? So, yeah, all, all good examples of how life has improved significantly after your oh, amputation, yeah. just the opportunities that's provided. Um, I was, I wanted to ask about um, just like how you perceive adaptive sports um, versus something like standing hockey. So um, I get you, you kind of said that you like to use your legs, but it was just one of the things that kind of came to mind as I was prepping for this is and you have the unique perspective of kind of having played both and having the capacity to play both uh and i often wonder if like introducing quote-unquote adaptive sports to able-bodied individuals uh would kind of make the prevalence of them greater and kind of make the popularity of them greater uh so i'm just always interested in how like kind of adaptive sports can exist more in the mainstream um, so I think a lot of it is really simply an education process. Um, you can see a lot of it uh, on the women's side as well. I would say the, like the women's side of a lot of sports are a little bit ahead of the adaptive side, but we're in, going through the same process. And what we're fighting is how established able-bodied sports are. But it's more it's – so the way I put it here is I was really fortunate. When I first went into a sled hockey sled hockey locker room, in that locker room was the goalie for Team USA, who recently became the first ever Paralympic athlete to be inducted into the U.S. Olympic Hall of Fame. And then the captain of Team USA, who is a double double above knee uh, congenital amputee in Josh Pauls, Steve Cash being the goalie. That was That was who I was in a locker room day one. I realized really quick that had, if Josh had been born with both his shin bones, he still would have been an Olympic athlete. Same caliber of athlete. He just happens to have a disability. The expression is what changes. Like 
my if I hit the same level of proficiency on a movement or in a sport as somebody who's able-bodied, the expression is going to look a little different. Like if you want to just put it into like weightlifting terms where that may be that level of proficiency, skill, strength, let's just say all that being equal might be a 300-pound lift for you. That might only be a 250-pound lift for me. It's understanding that it's just it's understanding that language. It's kind of like watching it in a different language. So again, it's a lot of education. It's also there's the unique opportunity in 2023 where we've all got social media. We've got I've got a 4K camera in my pocket. It's people putting themselves out there, like you know, being out there and like being willing to be that educator. You know, and one of the guys on the U.S. sled hockey team that's gained a lot of popularity is Jack Wallace. He's done a ton on like TikTok, where he is where he te- where he will this, this here's something to learn about sled hockey today, and that sort of stuff does go well. And then from that, and then it's also tempering expectations. People think that because adaptive athletes aren't making the same money as LeBron James, that we're being discriminated. Like, no, it's just got to build a little bit. Like these structures have to build an understanding that we are planting a tree we may not get to sit in the shade for, and I'm good with that. Like I'm, I'm doing these things. You know, I, uh, I was supposed to be actually have a boxing. I was supposed to box uh, on Saturday. I was supposed to have a fight. Uh, fell through. Uh, had opponents. Had eight opponents back out. Um, and elect not to fight me, unfortunately. But like part of it was like I want to demonstrate that this stuff can be done well. Did they back out because of your amputation? I wasn't told that that was actually the reason, but I was told that yeah, they they didn't want to be the they didn't want to take that L. Um, is what is what it is. Uh, it, it'll happen. It'll happen eventually because um, it was able bodied opponents. Yeah. And, yeah. Um, but like part of that, it wasn't because I wanted to. F- uh, I, yes, I do want to fight and I want that experience, but like, it also became an opportunity to like demonstrate like, no, this can be done well in here. I'll show you how, like we, we need a lot, like in the adaptive space, we need a lot of those people because it's not me who's going to get paid, but there's a kid that may see that and start working on his boxing now and turns into a great freaking boxer yeah. because he saw that. Yeah, you talk about it as like, I like the lens of representation instead of like inspiration. It's one thing that I've asked some of um, the guests that we've talked with, like, do you like being considered an inspiration or do you kind of prefer people uh, express that differently to you? Um, I would say I kind of struggled with it a little bit early on. You know, I don't love going to Aldi's and having some some older woman grab my shoulder and tell me how amazing it is that I that I'm out getting groceries by myself. Oh, come on, man! <laughs> like, I'm, I'm, I can do more than you can. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah, that's well, that's that's just like the that's just the education piece. I think like people yeah, don't so know like, what to say, so they just default to what they think is like the nicest thing to say, but they don't exactly. really realize. So yeah. it's like I've kind of moved towards. I'm pretty neutral on it because I, I kind of had this like moment of clarity with it because it was like a point where it was like it was bothering me a little bit because I was like I felt like I was being patronized a little bit and I was like you know what the reality is inspiration is derived from wherever you are currently who am I to take that away from somebody who feels maybe a little lower about themselves or they're just not as far on their journey and they look forward and they see like okay this is very doable that's inspiring to me who am I to rain on that 
Like, why, why would I want to get in the way of that? The world is a better place if more people are doing more things. They're more physical. They have more belief in themselves. The world's a better place for that. I, I, I'm not going to be a jerk to somebody who says that I'm an inspiration to them. Yeah. Do I don't get excited about it. I don't seek it. I don't need it. If I never hear it again, that's fine. But like, cool. Like, I'm, I'm glad you found me then. Like, I, I am glad you found my page. You got questions? Ask them. Let's go. Yeah. Yeah. It's like you, you want you want to inspire action, not just compliments. It's like you want to yes. inspire yes. someone to like get after it, like because of what you, what they say you do. That's a way better way to say it than I did. <laughs> no, I thought yours was very eloquent. I, I want to inspire action. No, I I love that. Like, yeah. yeah. Um. So you've recently kind of picked up running. Um. You have your hands in a lot of different buckets for sports. Oh, I also wanted to ask, like, have you tried amputee soccer? Um. Not like on a field. Like not in a game. I have I have a pair of crutches that I've taken out and kicked a ball around a couple times. Yeah, it's fun. Yeah, a friend a friend of mine a friend of mine's the captain for the U.S. team. So, uh, and okay. I know they're always they're always looking for people. So, uh, him and I were gotcha. talking this morning. We're hoping to have a, a training camp next year, next October, actually, in the Boston area. So, oh, cool! I love. Uh, I recently went up to Boston uh, this year for the very first time. And if New Hampshire isn't my favorite place on earth, I don't know what is. Yeah, yeah, we, I like New. I like the the like New Hampshire vibe a lot better than the city vibe for sure. We're about an hour outside of Boston, where my gym is here, uh, so definitely okay. not city like. Uh, more New Hampshire vibes than Boston vibes. Okay, then yeah, I need to link you up with Les Leg then. Um, Are they in Boston? Uh, New Hampshire. T- uh, oh, okay. Tina Hurley's in. in uh, oh, I, I I follow I follow Tina on Facebook. I think we're fr- I think we're friends on Facebook. Yeah. So there's okay. also. Um, are you familiar with Noel Lambert's Born to Run Foundation? I'm not familiar with the foundation. I I know who she is. Yeah. Um, I can proudly say I followed her before she was on Survivor. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. She's pretty local to me here, and I know um, they've been gifting running blades uh, yep, to various people. Yeah. Um, uh, so you, so you got your first running blade recently, a couple years I back to Boston. Yeah. Okay. All right. I took, I took um, to Boston earlier this year. Um, what was that first experience like, uh, kind of getting out to run? It was weird. I felt real heavy. Um, so for, pers- for perspective, I think I was around 175 whenever I got hurt. I was 195, like a, a solid 195 going around. I was like, oh man, I feel real heavy. Because I hadn't bounded like that in years, like years and years and years. And it was the first time running in like 12. And um, yeah, but like I, my brain caught on to it. I knew I understood the mechanics because, again, like you said, I couldn't I couldn't like show people how to run. So I had to get really good at the understanding and verbalizing how to run with the athletes I was coaching. So I was able to then get to apply that and like learn that over a couple of days um, you know, cause I, I understood how to cue it. So now I just had to do it to myself. And like, that's where all the work, all the, all the, the whole process came to this like huge culmination of like, oh, you can express this now. Yeah. And that was very cool. Are you using your running blade in CrossFit as well? Is it, is it a better option for that type of training? Um, so I'm not really doing CrossFit right now. Um, but I would not, uh, because it would be like equivalent of doing these movements off the ball of your feet. Okay. Um, if I were to be getting back into that, I'd probably be doing something more like the the hybrid foot, like the Cheetah Explore from Oser, where it's got a heel. 
Um, that's probably a little bit more. Or honestly, I'm using the uh, Forever Foot from Levitate, and that thing is sweet. Yeah, for maybe um, for people who don't have much knowledge of prosthetics, would you be able to kind of succinctly break down the difference between like your everyday leg and like your running blade? Okay. Um, so trying to be as succinct as possible for this incredibly complicated. <laughs> yeah, process. I know that, that's what's a little tricky. So we we can oversimplify it and put most prosthetics into two categories: absorbing energy or expressing energy. So like a running blade is expressing a lot of energy. It does not do a lot. Of, it does almost no absorption. It's all about the return. And that springiness gives you that feel of running. Um, and then like you're, that's not typically what you want to walk around in every day. So your walk, your walk around feet, they've got a little bit more, they've got less return. They're a little softer. They've got more, um, they, again, there's more energy absor absorption happening and less return. It's a lot more comfortable to walk around. Like I said, if I were to walk around in my running blade all day, my hip would be jacked up. It would feel terrible to walk. It'd be like walking around on my tippy toe. Um, there's a reason that, you know, because running, optimal running happens on the front of the half of the foot, your running blades only have the front half. Um, and now what I was describing is a foot that has a, it's, that actually lives in the middle of that. So I would be able to get some more of that movement. I'd be able to pull, you know, like again, put it in the CrossFit setting. If I were going to do some like lifts and stuff like that, a lot of your barbell lifts are flat foot lifts. So because I'd have that heel on that, on that specific foot, I'd be able to get that, get some of that propulsion, not as much as a running play, but some of it while still having the balance that comes from being leaning towards that everyday foot style. Yeah, that, that makes all perfect sense. And what is, um, since you seem to be the one that's always after specific tangible goals, um, do you have a specific running goal? Um, find its logical conclusion. <laughs> um, so I, I've uh, signed up for a 30K in May. Uh, I'm going to be running the Bryce Canyon uh, 30K trail run. Um, good bit of climbing. It's going to be, you know, it's not technically ultra distance, but... My understanding is that it's an excellent um, introduction to ultra, to ultra running. So I know that like I'm running for experience. I'm not running because I want to run. Now I have found there. Now I've really learned some stuff through this running journey already. Like my boxing footwork has improved with my as my running pr improves. Like my my technique, my boxing improves, and that's been awesome because it, well you get hit less. Uh, the better the better your footwork is, the less you get hit. Um, so there's that side of it. I, I really want to see how far, how far I need to take it to really start to, ma to maximize or optimize that. Like what's the, what's the best, like, um, return on investment there. And then like, for me, like I want an experience, like I'm not trying to, to like, not, I'm, I'm sure I'll run a marathon at some point, uh, because the 30 K is 19 miles in a, in tough terrain. I would assume if I could do that one, I could probably then turn around and run 26 on flat paved road. <laughs> Um, not the same, but similar capacities. Yeah. But like, I want the experience. Like I want to see things like even just some of the runs I've done already. I've got done some trails. I've done some just like really nicely, well taken care of paved runs even. And I was like, I love this experience that I'm getting. And this is not the same as walking. And it sure as heck isn't the same as watching on someone else's social media. So like, I want to see what sort of experiences are out there for me. Is um, the, uh, is the uneven terrain of trails tough for the foot? Um, you know what? I have had less challenge than I expected. The other thing is it's super precise. 
So there's, so that prosthetic isn't as big with the running blade. It's actually a lot smaller. And I was like, oh, that's actually, if I'm good at, if my vestibular system is in good shape, it's a minor, not an advantage, but like, it's not a hindrance at all. Like it, I, I've, I've yet to find an issue and I've not gone anything crazy technical, um, but I've had no issues. It's been really fun. You gotta, I would say you don't start on trails though as an amputee. Um, you really have to have that gate pattern figured out. You have to have like, there's a, like, there's way, a way bigger strength prerequisite to run on an, on a running blade than it is just to run able-bodied. Now run, now able-bodied running probably has, has the same thing, but on the blade, you have to, you have to be stronger so you can control the blade and not get controlled by it. How did you get, uh, affiliated with Tina's organization there? Um, she found me on Instagram actually. So, um, she, I got a message from less like more heart and she was like, Hey, um, I took a look at, uh, you know, we've been watching your social media for a little bit. We, we think that we, al- I think that we align on some goals. Uh, would you be willing to get on a zoom call? And, um, so we hop on this call. Uh, it was immediate. We, we clicked right away and she's exactly right. Um, we're both about making everything accessible. Uh, so, so so that they uh, they work with a prosthetic manufacturer called Levitate, and that's so they they gift those running blades. I didn't know this. I was actually being interviewed to be a recipient um, that day as well, and so they ended up flying me out to Boston. Um, I did some media stuff and content stuff for Less Like More Heart, and then we went down to uh, the D one facility in Boston, and we um, Levitate puts on these uh, events called test runs. So the, like, hey, if you sign up, you're an amputee. We will put you in a running blade. And you will have the option to test one out. We're going to teach you a little bit about how to use it. And, um, you know, they do these events to spread awareness. And because Levitate's big thing is accessibility of these running blades as well. I'm sure you're aware of how difficult it is for a lot of amputees to gain one. Levitate sells theirs direct to consumer instead. And they sell them for $2,000. You get a payment plan for under $200 a month. The blade gets shipped right away. So So, again, we're all three of us are on the same page. I was gifted a levitate running blade and kind of the rest of the story wrote itself um, being a coach for as long as I had. And I was you know, just kind of working on it and they were like, I got put on the spot like, Hey, Hey Sam Schaefer, where you at? And this is, I had, I had spoken and met the, uh, the owner of levitate on a zoom call about six weeks prior. And um, he puts me on the spot. He's like, Hey, why don't you come and teach us, teach us, you know, warm us up and teach these guys. It's like, all right, let's figure this out. And we figured out that I know how to get amputees. I, I ran the same sort of drill concepts that I was doing for myself. And we had 30 amputees with a quality running gate within 20 minutes to include a handful of AKs. And it was incredible. It was like this like crazy, like, holy cow. Now what, what happens if I get time to actually really refine this process? Yeah. Yeah. That, that sounds like it would be a, a great clinic to, to bring to other organizations for sure. Yeah. Yes. Um, you mentioned one of your values that aligned well with um, less like more heart was making um, fitness or sport accessible. What do you think needs to be done in the fitness space uh, to make it more inclusive and accessible? Um, from the able-bodied perspective, these athletes cannot be seen as the boogeyman. Um, they can't be seen as this like really difficult to work with. And then from the adaptive side, from the athlete side, we got to understand that these people are learning. They're not going to have it all figured out. 
and there needs to be a little bit of grace with that as well. Like there's a lot of people that are very that are trying very hard, but they they're not there yet. So like if you're, you got to got to understand your understand the reality of the scenarios that we're walking in. Like people haven't been studying amputee squatting, deadlifting, running for decades the way they have able bodied. They're still learning how to translate all that stuff. And there's very few people like myself that had almost a decade of that sort of coaching and learning and then became an amputee. So that's why that's where I feel a responsibility to be putting out the content that I am now. Because again, that makes it more accessible. It's yes, it's great for amputees, but there's I've had able bodied coaches that have passion like I want to serve this community, I just don't know how. Yeah. Yeah, so I think we've people. we've written I've written a little bit about that where like I think sometimes uh, what holds businesses back is just the fear of not being able to accommodate for someone. So they like don't even uh, promote themselves or they don't even make the effort to be more inclusive because at some point they're going to run into a condition that they're not familiar with or they're going to run into a scenario where they're not sure what to do. So to hear from an athlete like yourself where you're kind of giving uh, someone like myself, the grace to kind of figure out what the best solution is together. I think that's an important message to communicate and maybe put more people at ease. Uh, like we're not expected to have all the answers. We're just expected to care to find the solutions. Um, so I hope that's a message that would resonate with some people that might be a little hesitant to enter this world, um, but that are needed to kind of make yep. the industry as a whole more accessible. You know, it's funny. Yeah, like I, I've seen some very qualified coaches that I think would kill it in the adaptive space. They're afraid to they're but they're afraid to do it for that reason. Yeah. And then you see people that just flat out like, oh, my my cousin was an amputee, so I'm passionate about this. And they don't do any education, but they tell people all about how much they care. And now they're out there. I'm like, oh no, you're not oh this isn't helping. Oh no. I'm like trying yeah, yeah. to find that line. It's like um it's hard. Like yeah that's the other thing is understand that that these are that it is challenging like to to get the stuff figured out like we're trying to figure out how to do something and use an inanimate object as a tool like it, it's a challenging task and like again yeah it's it's so much perspective against perspective grace and like let's figure it out together let's be committed to this quality yeah. and that's that's the thing i think that is missing a little bit is there's not enough people that are committed to the quality of what's happening with these athletes they think, oh, that their job is to be their cheerleader. No, like just because that bar got off the ground and they stood up does not make it a good deadlift. Yeah. And your job is not to say great job. Your yeah. job is to be like, all right, here's how we do it better. Yeah, we, we talk about how like adaptive, to be a good adaptive strength conditioning coach, you have to be a good strength conditioning coach for all populations first. So then you can kind of apply those principles. Like you said, like, you know, you knew the gate, you knew running gate, and then you were able to apply that to an amputee, but if you had an if you had just immediately gone to like, oh, I I'm very interested in helping people post amputation learn how to run, but you didn't do that due diligence of learning gait mechanics and learning biomechanics of running beforehand, it's like you're just a cheerleader, and that that could be that could be a good thing, but uh, we do need to kind of raise the standard, I guess, a little bit in terms of how adaptive athletes are trained. Yeah, exactly. And it's, it's teaching methods as well. It's not just flat out knowing what running gate mechanics are. It's how do you develop them? The, 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 the teaching side of it, like you have to just, you have to be a great teacher for this. 
Yeah. Yeah. Well, we're, we're very interested in following along as you prep for that 30 K. Is it, is it next spring, this coming spring? Yep. Yeah, yeah, I've still got a lot of time. Yeah. <laughs> en- en- enough time for me to get a little too overconfident and zealous and think, oh, maybe we'll do a 50. <laughs> <laughs> that, that tends to be how it goes. If a marathon's good, an ultra marathon must be better. I, t- I tell people that all the time. I got clients, they, they run their first 5K, and they're like, so now I'm thinking of signing up for a marathon. And I'm like, more is not always better. Like, <laughs> And people that run marathons aren't inherently yeah. better than people that run 5Ks. It's like Correct. I'm, I'm uh, running the 5K this weekend with my wife. There you go. Right. Um, if people are interested in learning more about you uh, or kind of finding you on social, where is the best place to do so? All right, uh, two places. Uh, the, the best one to go to is definitely my Instagram. That's what I've been doing the longest. Um, at Sam Schaefer 1, S-A-M-S-C-H-A-E-F-E-R, and then the number 1. Uh, on Instagram, I know there's about uh, 96 ways to spell Schaefer, and they all make sense. I'll, I'll I'll link it in the show notes so people can go right there. Appreciate that. And then um, I am early on in a U- uh, my my YouTube career, um, where I'm trying to put out a combination. I'm actually I'm going to be doing all my run prep, all my stuff, everything that I learned for this 30k. I'm going to be going in depth on my YouTube channel. Um, so there's going to be like a, ru- a recurring vlog. So it's going to be I'm going to be discussing just running as a whole. Um, what I'm learning on the amputee side and but more than anything I want to communicate the process of figuring things out because my process isn't going to be the same as yours but or my my absolutes aren't going to be the same as yours but that your pro- you can mirror the process to figure out your version of it and that's my goal at the end of this is someone's going to learn how to figure it out um, I'm also tying that in with uh, some amputee specific education stuff you talked we talked about that video the other day uh, started a series that I'm just got started called the concept of cue and a strategy where I'm going to take a concept of a common movement or movement pattern. Um, I'm going to figure out, I'm going to tell you exactly how I've been successful cueing it to a prosthetic and then a strategy for you to take it home and know whether or not you're getting it right. Yeah. Yeah. So those will all be amazing resources. Uh, I love following along with people's training on YouTube. Uh, a couple of like my favorite triathletes and marathoners uh, that are very open with their training. Um, for some reason, it's just like I love watching that process. So very much looking forward to following along with yours as well. Uh, Sam, I'm glad we connected. I appreciate the time that you gave me this morning to uh, to touch base. And I feel very fortunate to kind of have you in our community now and um, appreciate you being a part of it. Yeah, thank you. It's uh, the pleasure's all mine, and uh, I'm hoping we can figure out some more stuff to do together. Absolutely. Thank you for listening to the AdaptX podcast. Our effort to amplify the ideas of our guests and create more inclusive and accessible industries is futile unless these episodes reach a larger audience. If you enjoyed our discussion today, please leave us a rating or a review on whichever platform you use. And if you would like to learn more about AdaptX, the course that we teach to health and fitness professionals and the projects that our organization is working on, you can subscribe to our newsletter through our website, www.adaptx.org. Until next Monday.